All right, let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 5 this morning. The scene from chapter 4, which we looked at last week, now continues uninterrupted. And we see the throne of God mentioned more than any other thing when you study the book of Revelation is the throne. But the cool part is, isn't really the throne itself, but it's the one whom sits upon it. And that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is looking to him, knowing he is in control. And there as he sits upon the throne, as he is worshipped. That's what we see here in chapters 4 and 5, is the worship of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we also see angels singing nonstop. We have elders there bowing down before the throne, casting their crowns before Jesus. So God is being praised for his glory, his holiness, his eternal nature, his sovereign power, and that he's the creator of all things. And shame on us when we only praise God when things are going our way or prayers are answered and things that we want. It's not about us. Okay, We worship him for who he is, whether things are going good or not. So this scene before us this morning, John continues. And he notices something else. And we'll take a look in chapter 5, verse 1. It says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. The book, the scroll, okay? It's a judgment scroll of the world's final destiny. Wickedness is going to be punished and righteousness will be rewarded. And that's known as the Bema Seat of Christ. If you are in Christ Jesus, he took our judgment, okay, our wickedness, our sin upon himself. That's already been taken care of. That judgment has been passed. And he took that punishment upon himself. And if we're in Christ, we don't go through that judgment because Christ did that already for us. What we will be judged for are our good works, what we have done unto Christ for God, for his glory in this life. He's prepared us for good works. That's what we're predestined for, our good works as believers. Study the scriptures on that. Pretty cool. But as we look to these judgments known as the Bema Seat of Christ, and one day we will be rewarded. And I think it's very important for us in this season of life to always be looking for those opportunities. God, you've asked me to love you and to love others. Well, how does that look? How am I to love my neighbor? Well, as myself. Well, how does that look? Well, we'll talk about that at the end of our time this morning. But I want to get back to this scripture here in verse 1. Surely the world's final destiny really involves the judgment that we see played out in the book of Revelation from chapter 6 to 19. And can you imagine if it didn't? Okay, You see, it happens in our time and space, and it must. Salvation does, right? So judgment here is going to happen. I want to take a look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 15 with you guys. Knowing this first, so catch it. 
that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? When is Jesus coming back? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved until fire, for fire, until the, ju- the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot, and blameless, and consider that long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. And there's another scripture I'd like to look at with you guys from Romans chapter 2, verses 2 to 8. But we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things, in doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one, according to his deeds, eternal life to those who, by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and don't obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. So, the absence of cataclysmic judgment and justice now is mercy in the patience of God. 
So we know that this scroll is a judgment document because we see the next chapter in what happens in Revelation. So at Revelation chapter 6, it says, Now I saw the Lamb. He opened one of the seals. And then if you jump down to verse 15, it says, And the kings of the earth, the great men, rich men, the commanders of the mighty men, every slave and every free man, they hid themselves in caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? And that is the question that you and I have to ask. Who is able to stand? This is good news. If you study the book of Revelation, you see the grace of God throughout the entire book. Yeah, judgment, wrath will take place because God is fair. He is just. He's a good judge. And there is penalty for our sin, for our rebellion to him. And I think it's significant. If you look there, it says that they cry out to the mountains in the rocks to save them from the wrath of the Lamb. And I think it's crazy because we know Jesus is the rock of our salvation. Instead of crying out to the rock of salvation, Jesus Christ, they're crying out to the rocks to hide them from him. And how bad do things have to get? Because that's what we see in the book of Revelation. All the different judgments um, that we see, the bull judgments and the uh, different things, the seals that are opened, they come, instead of people repenting and turning to God, Okay, they continue to rebel. And I think often in this day of age, and we're definitely in a dispensation of grace, a time of grace of God, how bad do things have to get until we turn to him? A lot of us for many years have prayed for revival. In our country here, we're being shut, the world globally is shutting down. Things are getting bad. How bad do things have to get until we actually turn to God? I don't see people turning to God. I don't see people calling into the church, emailing me, hey, I know you're a man who walks with the Lord, who knows the Bible, the scriptures. Tell me. What do I need to know? What do I need to do in order to be saved, to be right with God? There's not a turning to God right now. A little bit in part, but overall, man, the most, most of us are in rebellion to him. What is it actually going to take for us to repent as a people, to turn back to our God? I mean, we live in the United States of America, right? I pledge allegiance to the flag, okay? United, what? One nation under God, well, we say that, and the majority of us as Americans laugh at that. Yeah, we're not united. We're not under God. Well, that's the problem why we're not united, why things aren't getting done, is because there is no fear of God in our nation any longer. We think we know best. We've asked him to leave. So we look at what's going on in the world. What is it really going to take for us to actually break, to repent before our maker, to get right with him? What is it going to take in your life? Don't you fear death? Don't you fear where you will end up for all time, eternity? This life is short. Man, you may die today. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. 
things happen. We see people dying from this coronavirus. We see people dying from a common flu. We see people dying in an accident. We see people dying for whatever reason, and some reasons we don't even know why they died. But every single one of us will stand before our maker one day, and we're going to have to give an account of what we did in this life and what we did with Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that matters. So, we see then, and I think we see in Revelation here as we consider this, there's the good news, but it's also horrific because we see the wrath and judgment coming. But in the end, it ends well. We read in Revelation chapter 20, verse 1, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. Awesome. Well, what takes place there? Well, looking right to the last chapter in chapter 22, and he showed me, this angel showed me a pure river, verse 1 there, of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its streets on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, and there shall be no night there. There's no need for a lamp nor a light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. Man, I cannot wait until that day. That is what's set before us. And how do we know? Because God's word here, it is prophetic. Man, thousands of prophecies. Okay, Many fulfilled already to a T, literally. And he is coming back. We are living in the last days. The Bible speaks more about today than any other time in history. Even more than when Jesus actually walked along the shores of the Galilee. The Bible speaks about the times and the seasons. What will be going on upon this planet before he returns. And the stage is set, guys. Israel's back in the land. We're seeing famines around the world. People starving to death. Earthquakes are more than they've ever been, getting bigger, larger, more frequent than we've ever seen throughout history. And then we see pandemics. We see pestilences right before us. These things are coming together, just like Jesus said would happen in the last days. But don't let your hearts be troubled, guys. These things must happen. But that means what? Jesus is going to come for his church. We talked last week about the blessed hope we have as believers, the rapture of the church. And then we see, before his second coming, we have the tribulation. We see Revelation 6 to 19 play out over a seven-year period of time. And the stage is being set. I look at the Pope. I think he's a false prophet. Prophet. He's definitely an antichrist. I don't know if he's going to be the false prophet. But this man, he's bringing the world religions together of faith. He's even mentioned recently that, hey, all faiths go to heaven. Really? Pope, read your Bible. Not true. He even mentioned if an atheist is a good person, that he'll get to go one day. That is scary. That is blasphemy. According to the Bible, that's another gospel, and the man will be accursed. The man is going to be in hell. And how many people is he leading? 
We're told in the scriptures, and Jesus warned us, watch out. We have the blind, and they're leading the blind. We need to come to Jesus Christ that our eyes are open, that those scales are removed. And when we come into relationship with him, man, there's nothing standing in the way. We get to go right to God. We get to petition him. We get to come into relationship with him. We get to live with him in eternity. That's the hope we have. And it's so cool seeing all these things come together. So in light of Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, the moment's arrived here. These things are all about to unfold. And then we have John, the writer here, the revelator, being Jewish, he had read about this scene before. And that would be found by the prophet Daniel. And I'll take a look with you guys this morning at chapter 7, verse 8 to 14 in Daniel. He says here, I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out of the roots. And there, in this horn, were eyes, like the eyes of a man, in a mouth speaking pompous words. I watched till the thrones were put in place, And the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and his hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. And the court was seated, and the books were opened. In the verse 11, I watched then, because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking, I watched till the beast was slain, and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. And as for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. In his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Guys, this was the great hope that God would judge the world and that the Messiah King would come and he would establish his kingdom here on earth. So this is the history. This is what history is moving towards. We see in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, that the seventh angel sounded, And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, And who is to come? Because you have taken your great power 
and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. In the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. I love the prophets. It all fits. It works. It says the same thing. So we see in Revelation 5.1, this moment has arrived. These things are about to unfold. And that brings us to verses 2, 3, and 4. Look here. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open or to read the scroll or to look at it. So John is weeping because thus far the only one who is able to execute judgment and establish righteousness on the earth is absent from the scene. Where is he? Who can do this? No created being was worthy morally deserving of the privilege of unleashing these judgments of God on this sinful universe. So we see verse 5, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seals. So the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, Jesus Christ. So how did Jesus overcome? I'm glad you guys asked. In many ways, but the central and the most prevalent here is revealed in the next verse. Look at verse 6. And I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So the lamb standing as if slain. Have you ever thought about that picture in your head? A slain lamb standing. Behold, we're told in the scriptures, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John chapter 1 verse 29 that's speaking of jesus the lamb of god the lamb that was slain that's speaking to the cross that's where he was slain for our sins he was crucified tortured beaten died upon that cross for you and i but the lamb is standing here though it was slain he's standing that's pointing to the resurrection so we have the work of satan in the world We have the power of death at work in the world. So being all-powerful and all-seeing, possessing the Holy Spirit, this is no other than deity, the second person of the Trinity here, who, because of the love carried out by the Father's plan of redemption for the world, for you, for me, through the cross, so qualified to carry our Father's plan of judgment out. That is what Jesus is doing. 
we all know John chapter 3, and I want us to look at verses 16 and 17 together. And this speaks to the first coming of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We all know that scripture, but what's the next verse right after it? For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's why Jesus came. He is a gift from the Father. A gift of redemption, of the forgiveness of sins. A gift of eternal life to those who believe upon him. That's what Jesus did in his first coming. There's over 300 prophecies that he fulfilled to a T in the word of God. You guys know that the Bible is the only prophetic book out there that has fulfilled prophecy? That's one reason we know it's from God. Because it's supernatural. God's fingerprints are all over it. How do we know that the Bible is true? That this is the revelation from God? Because prophecy is the one thing that sets the Bible apart from every other religious book out there. There's about 26 major faiths of the world that have a book that say this is divine. This is a revelation from God or a higher power. This is truth. Well, it's not truth. There's only one truth, and it is Jesus Christ. And the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And we see it all over the place in the word of God. So here we see his first coming. Just a couple chapters over to John chapter 5. This is speaking to his second coming. Let's take a look at verse 19 to 29. It says, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees his father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life and most assuredly i say to you the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of god and those who hear will live for as the father has life in himself so he has granted the son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man do not marvel at this For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So Jesus is very clear here about his first coming, his second coming. Judgment is his We see now, back in Revelation 5, verse 7 tells us, Then he came 
And he took the scroll, this is Jesus, he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Okay, so the cul- this is culminating all of history here. This is the act of history, all prayers that we have prayed through the centuries of thy kingdom come are about to be answered right here. And all the cries for justice are about to be answered for all the wickedness that has gone unanswered. They're about to be answered. Definitely. So here, we see Jesus alone is worthy. And Jesus is the only one who performed the greatest act of mercy the world has ever seen. So he is the one worthy to carry out justice that this world needs. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says that when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue in people, in nation. So again, we fall down. The evidence of our prayers, they've been heard, and there's this new song. Jesus is the one who performed the greatest act of mercy the world has ever seen. So he is the one worthy to carry out justice that this world needs. So let's remember that Jesus saves sinners. That's what the Bible is about. All the way from Genesis to Revelation. It is about Jesus Christ. The volume of the book is about Him. It's about Him saving us. And I say us because we're all sinners. Either you're still in your sin or you've been forgiven of your sin. The only way you can be forgiven of your sin is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. So we are not sitting on the right side of judgment because we deserve it, but because through his cross and resurrection, Jesus has overcome the rebellion of humanity, the sin of the world. He's overcome it all. This lamb is shown as being almighty. Talk about some cool symbolism here, okay? The lamb, it had seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. And then look with me on uh, verse 11 here. It says, Then I looked, and I heard the voices of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing in every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them. I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Wow, mercy has been brought to us. Guys, do you get this? So if 
the thought of the world being judged is a terrible thing to you, why? Then get busy taking that mercy to the world. Okay? People need to hear. We are all under judgment until we come into faith in Christ. People need to hear about the love, the grace, and the mercy of God. Verse 10. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Guys, this makes me think of what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 16. This is a neat passage of Scripture speaking to verse 10. It tells us here, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against us as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, to those who are sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using our liberty or freedom as a cloak for vice, but as a bondservant or bondservants of God. So all creation is worshiping Jesus, the lion and the lamb, declaring his worthiness. Can you guys imagine that with me, what heaven's going to be like? Tens of tens of thousands of people are there to worship the Lord. So the worthiness is because he is the lion and he is the lamb. So, dear brothers and sisters, it is this present reality of Christ, the Lion and the Lamb, that is to form who we are and how we live. Let not this world tell you what you need to be, mold you into its image, okay? Don't let circumstances dictate how you love, who you are, what you do. I love what Philippians chapter 2 tells us. Let nothing be done, verse 3, through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. 
And let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and has given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Guys, I don't want to run in vain. I hope you don't want to run in vain. Man, let's run in a way to win. Let's finish the race well. Fight the good fight of faith, guys, until the end. And that brings us to the end of chapter 5 in Revelation. Look at verse 14. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Wow. And the elders fell down and worshiped. I think that is what is needed today, every day, to the day we breathe our last breath. We worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Sometimes it feels like life is out of control. What do we do? <laughs> we need face time before the Lord. Get down on your face. Worship Him for who He is. And let me tell you what, guys. And I've experienced this over and over again in my own life. When things are getting out of control, when I'm finding myself worrying, anxious, overwhelmed, depressed, defeated, man, the thing that brings everything back into perspective is getting before my Maker, humbling myself, and worshiping Him for who He is. First of all, it gets my eyes off myself, and it gets my eyes onto Him, the one who is in control the one who loves me, who has good in view. And I encourage you guys to do the same. Worship him. Worship him well. So that is the word for today. I love the heavenly scene that we find in chapters 4 and 5 in Revelation here. I hope it's stirred your heart. I hope it's opened your eyes to some new things. And I would encourage you guys, there's a blessing that comes with studying the book of Revelation. Okay, we see that in chapter 1, that anyone who reads or studies this book okay, will be blessed by it. And I would encourage you guys, read the entirety of it. It's very 
Uh, a lot of people trip out, think it's too hard. It's a pretty simple book. Okay, we just considered the things that were, okay, and that are the churches, okay, and then the things which are to come, and that would be chapter 6 onwards. But there is hope there. These things are written. It's all about Jesus, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I'm so encouraged uh, just in the times that we're living, what God is doing right now in the world. I think he's shaking things up. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for the church, okay, would really awaken. We have great opportunity to share uh, the only hope that this world has, and it is Jesus Christ. So until uh, the day he comes and he calls us home, the trump of God sounds, uh, keep preaching the word, guys. People need to hear.